0: got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Welcome to the God Questions podcast with Shay
1: Hoodman, President of God Questions Ministries. Welcome to the God Questions podcast. Today we're going to be tackling an issue that we do receive questions about fairly often, but it's something that um, most churches and pastors, church leaders hope to never have to do, and yet there's very explicit instructions in Scripture about it. So, In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about church discipline. Now, the main passage for church discipline um, is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, and also 18 to 20, which we'll cover a little bit later. But let me just go ahead and read the passage just to get us started. Matthew 18, verses 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so, this, this verse, this passage in Matthew, um, there's some, some other passages elsewhere in the New Testament that kind of help to clarify um, how this is done, it kind of gives that an outline both for church discipline and It's often applied in interpersonal relationships that um, if your brother or sister in Christ sins against you, first talk to them privately. If that doesn't result in repentance, take someone with you. Then the church discipline is a little more formal. And If a member of the church is involved in sin, is not responding to a personal and hopefully loving confrontation, then you just bring it to the whole church and the whole goal of the process, whether it's interpersonal or whether it's the entire church, is repentance. It's not to bring condemnation. It's to hopefully point out the person the error of their ways and to point them towards how they should be living in contrast to what they're currently doing. So that's that's the goal of the whole process. Several steps. The steps should be followed in their biblical order. And again, the goal is repentance. The goal is not to um, destroy someone's reputation. The goal is not to condemn someone so harshly That they feel they can never be of use to Christ again. The goal is repentance and restoration.
2: A lot of people get confused about the exact purposes behind church discipline. It's good that we bring up the idea that the point of it is supposed to be repentance. We're we're called on all these times in the Bible to pursue unity, that we're supposed to be together as much as we can be. And if we don't approach conflict and disagreement the right way, that's not going to happen. One of the things you see in this process for church discipline is that it starts with the most private conversation possible. If you have a problem with somebody, the best thing to do is to go communicate with that person, just you and them, not gossip about it, not complain about it, not whine about it to a dozen other people. You go talk to that person first, and then it escalates from there. One of the things that's really interesting about that is that that doesn't just provide the opportunity for someone who is potentially sinning, to be confronted and hopefully repent when it's a personal conversation or when they're approached by several people in the church. But those steps also provide an opportunity for something almost like a due process. If if I go talk to somebody and say, hey, I have a problem with this or that thing that you're doing, they may wind up telling me something that changes my mind. And now this, this conflict, instead of me spreading false rumors about them, well, now we've settled it. Now I understand, okay, I was wrong about that. Maybe two of us go to talk to each other and we just can't resolve this, this disagreement, this feeling that somebody's sinning or somebody's doing harm. When you take it to a small group of people, you have the same opportunity. Now you bring people in from outside the circumstances who can sort of look at it. And there's a chance for those people to say, you know what, Jeff, you're really making a bigger deal about this than you need to. This does not need to be escalated or you're right. This is something that we need to work with and deal with. So the, the purpose of all this is not to crush somebody or to slam down on somebody or, or just do everything that we can to skip to the part where we get to throw them out in the wilderness. The point of all of it is to seek unity and reconciliation and to do it in a way that doesn't create more drama and division than it absolutely has to.
0: Exactly, Jeff. And, you know, church discipline is a difficult thing, but it is commanded in Scripture. And churches, um, every church needs to uh, have uh, be taking this seriously. If, if a church is serious about actually discipling people, uh, they have to be practicing church discipline, because discipline is part of discipleship. You know, we all have rough edges. We all have things that we need to work on. And we all have blind spots that uh, you know we need to have people come into us at times and say hey uh, you know I noticed this in your life and um, can I can I help you through this can we work on this together is there a way that we can correct this this sinful behavior is what church discipline is aimed at but I I'm struck by Jesus instructions in Matthew 18 that passage that you read Shay how there are built-in safeguards and Jeff you were talking about about those about their, I mean, it's possible that the person who's making the accusation doesn't have all the facts and needs to be corrected. And uh, so the process allows for that to be corrected. The uh, process uh, that Jesus describes there in Matthew 18 also has some built-in protections of privacy. You know, the very first step is that you go one-on-one and, you know, that's as far as it goes at the beginning, unless things escalate because of a refusal to repent you know, the digging into the heels and the uh, uh, the hard, the stiff necked or the hard heart that uh, we sometimes run into. Um, but I have to say, as a pastor um, and in our church, when we've practiced church discipline, I've only ever had to get to the first step. And the one-on-one conversation has res- has had good results, and it never had to go further than that. Now, that's not the case in many churches. I understand. And I believe that I I'm very blessed and I thank God every day for the church that uh, I'm pastoring. But uh, in my particular case that has taken care of it. And when that happens, the one-on-one conversation takes place and then there's a resolution. Nobody else even has to know about it. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. You may be saying, uh, you know, my church doesn't practice church discipline. And well, that may be true. And maybe they need to start practicing church discipline, but it also could be true that your church is practicing church discipline and you just never hear about it because things are handled privately and things are handled just through step one. And that's, uh, that's the situation that I see in my church. And it's a, it's a good thing to be following the biblical principles
1: talking to pastors and even questions that we've received from pastors or from people who are involved in church discipline or have had loved ones go through church discipline. There are some aspects of it that in our modern context are more difficult to apply. For example, in most of the new Testament letters written to individual churches, if a sinning believer who was unrepentant refused to turn back to the Lord was in a sense, excommunicated, forced to no longer attend the church. There was no other church for them to go to. In our modern context, in most cities, especially larger cities, there would literally be hundreds of churches to choose from. So you can be disciplined to the point of have, being forced to leave a church, and there's a church two blocks down that you can attend. So some churches tend to like, avoid the church discipline thing. Well, they're just going to go somewhere else anyway, so what's the point? Um, Or I also have heard from pastors, church leaders who, for a very biblical reason, have tried to initiate church discipline only to have some people in the church revolt against it to the point of like, you're making, so what if my daughter who serves on the worship team is um, living with her boyfriend and and engaging in sexual immorality? What gives you the right to say that that's wrong to the point where a pastor was forced to leave for confronting essentially someone who happened to be in one of the powerful families in the church. So I, I totally get it that a lot of pastors will tend to avoid church discipline. For one, they're not sure it'll do any good. And two, they don't want to stir up dissension. They don't want to have to come back and bite them for trying to do something biblical. But again, this is something the Bible commands. It gives us very clear outlines of here are the steps to take, and we should take them in those steps. For me, if the my one confusion or lack of clarity on this issue is, what sins rise to the level of needing church discipline? Like if someone has has sinned, which we all do all the time, but at what point is it a big enough sin? I even hesitate to use that language that it needs to be a personal confrontation or then a group of people or then brought before the whole church. Maybe I wish there was a little more clarity in this. Okay, what exactly are we talking about? What specific sins do we need to... Confront in this way, but it's not. So I think it becomes a matter of discernment for churches and church leaders, for pastors. A quote unquote small sin in one situation would not rise to this, but perhaps in another it would. So even in this, while we have clear instructions of how to handle it, what exactly is being handled, I think there's some um, discernment involved when a confrontation is necessary or when this is a matter. This is just something that's a matter of spiritual growth and discipleship.
0: Yeah, I think discernment is necessary always. Um but I th- and I think going to what uh going along with what you said, Shay, we need to be careful that we are only calling sin what scripture calls sin. We're not talking about pet peeves or you know things that it just rub me the wrong way and I'm going to go take care of this issue. It's stuff that the scripture actually identifies as sinful. Those are the issues that we need to be addressing. Also I think when we we start the process with that one-on-one conversation it needs to be in cases where that seems to be a true blind spot it's not somebody who's just struggling with with a sin and you know confesses it and tries to forsake it and all of that but it's somebody who pers- persists in this behavior and seems to not even be aware of it possibly or or doesn't care uh, that it's hurting other people.
2: And those are the cases that we need to be uh, pursuing. It's really important to remember that the purpose of church discipline, if you watch the way that that proceeds, every step in the process assumes that somebody involved is refusing to accept repentance and accountability for something that's going on. The, The point of church discipline is not to prosecute a trial with the end goal being excommunication hey we proved that this guy did this sin so let's kick him out of the church if somebody says you know what you're right this is something that I shouldn't do or I should not have done I'm willing to accept accountability I, I do think that this is something I need to fix then that that's how Christian life is supposed to work you know none of us are going to be perfect if all we just do is prosecute when we make mistakes then we're all going to be out In no time. The point of it is to look for opportunities for reconciliation, for repentance, restoring somebody in a spirit of gentleness, and that sort of a thing. It's not just about determining was there a sin. It's what are we going to do about that sin.
0: And that verse that you just alluded to, Jeff, is Galatians six verse one, which says, "Brothers and sisters, if if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently." And there's that word gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be also tempted. Uh, So through it all, this process has to be filled with grace. And grace and kindness and unconditional love should not be an afterthought in this process. It should be the first thought as we have that goal of restoration and uh, seek to uh, do what is best for this erring brother
2: or sister in Christ. Now to share what you were saying, I think that there's, I think there's a a sense in which we can sort of say that this church discipline, we refer to this as the church discipline process, but I think it's really a little bit broader even than that, uh, because it really is just sort of the, the church conflict or church disagreement process. I think it's fair for us to say that if we're not sure what to do, this is the model that we go to, as long as we're starting with that humble, sincere one-on-one approach that says, look, I feel convicted that I need to approach you about this and say something about this. Those give us the opportunity to say, what does scripture say? What's really happening? What's going on here? And that's where we get the chance to sort of go through and determine, even if it is something that's ultimately just trivial, well, then we're handling our trivial disagreement in a, you know, a civil, personal, together sort of a matter. I think that That's where our discernment comes in is that when we start to get to that level of, okay, now we're going to take it to a, a group, you know, that's a chance for the group to say, I don't know that this rises to the level of discipline. I know you don't like the bumper sticker on their car, but I don't see that that's got anything to do with this and so on and so forth. So I think it's handy that we don't necessarily have to ask. Like, do I use this process or do I not use this process? All we sort of have to do is say, This is the process we're going to use. And then we go through and just determine whether it needs to continue or whether it can stop. Uh, Jeff, that's a, it's a great point. And I've seen in some
1: like employer handbooks a policy very similar to what Matthew 18 describes in terms of even that conflicts in the workplace, um, of how to handle disagreements. So, you know, these principles apply to many situations. Beyond just a, a formal church discipline type of process, because I mean, ultimately, if your goal is restoration, forgiveness, so forth, um, these are the steps to take. Um, if you if you want to nuke your relationship with a person, well, jump straight to um, broadcasting it to everyone and focus on condemnation. I mean, <laughs> but if the goal is what Christ is talking about here—to lead a believer from embracing sin to rejecting
2: sin, these are the steps that should be followed. I like that you bring up the idea of a goal, that there's a a point and a purpose behind the rules. There's advantages to the process, but those are a little bit different than the goal, the purpose. Why are we doing this the way that we're doing it? And the ultimate purpose of this is to make disciples. It's to make people more Christ-like. And the first step in that is hopefully going to deal with that. Right then and there. But all of the steps in there are meant to have those different purposes. First and foremost is to disciple, is to help people overcome sin, is to hold people accountable. So we actually do grow, we actually do change. And I agree with what both Shay and you, Kevin, are saying is that this is necessary. You cannot not sometimes have confrontation about these things because we're not perfect. But the process is also meant to protect other people in the church, not just the one who's being confronted. We don't want sin to become uh, so accepted, so ignored that it becomes imitated in the church. We don't want to have something going on that we're afraid to speak on or speak about, and then it just becomes a trend. It becomes a habit, and nobody wants to confront. And worst of all, we don't want the way we as a church act, think, speak to provide the wrong impression to the world. The, the first Corinthians chapter five has an example where Paul talks about somebody who's doing something so heinous that he basically says, look, even the pagans know that that's gross. And that's a problem. If, if the church is participating in things that even a sinful culture knows are not right, then it's not even just that we're weakening the witness that we have of who Christ is and what he means, but we're, we're almost lying to the world about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So the fact that these are commands is important for those reasons, for the individual, for the church within the church, and for how the church can witness to and help the world.
0: If I may, I'd like to share another passage that I think deals with church discipline, and that's Matthew, sorry, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back... Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so James just gives the encouragement that if you're involved in this process and your goal is to uh, turn this erring brother or sister back to the truth, then um you are doing a very good thing you're acting in love which covers over a multitude of sins and you're saving this person from possible destruction down the road i like old westerns and one of the one of the tropes of that genre is the runaway stagecoach or sometimes just a runaway horse but you know so often there's this stagecoach that for one reason or another, has lost its driver. He's fallen off the bench there, and and this stagecoach is going down the, the path pell-mell, and the horses are galloping along, and of course there's this damsel in distress that's in the coach, and she's crying out for help, but not to worry because there is a cowboy coming, and he's riding a very fast steed, and he comes up alongside the team of horses, and he jumps off his horse onto the backs of this team of horses, clambers his way up to the front horses, and... and turns that this is what's important he turns them off the path that they were going and brings them to a stop then of course when everything is calmed down he goes back to the coach he opens the door saves the girl and and all is well i love old westerns but i think that's kind of what james is talking about in a way we need somebody to come alongside an uh, an errant brother or sister and turn them from the path that they were going. I mean, there's, there's a cliff down this path at the end of this. You don't want to go this way. Turn them out of that way into the safe way. Pull back on the reins and slow things down. Let's hold our horses and let's, uh, let's get to a safe spot. And James says, when you're able to come alongside and, uh, and guide somebody back into the path of safety and truth, then that is a, a very good thing and it's blessed
2: it's also good for us to remember that the purpose of going through that is to, we're we're trying to help that person to not wreck themselves. We're trying not to get the damsel in distress run over. We're not, we don't want them to hurt other people. I think we also need to remember that sometimes people get confused about the concept of church discipline. And they think that the point of church discipline is that no matter what the sin is and no matter what happens, it's, it's all just supposed to be handled completely within the church. And, granted we've been talking about how important discretion and privacy are when they're possible because we don't want to spread false rumors but we also need to remember that repentance includes things like accountability and nothing in the church discipline process suggests at all that there aren't going to be civil consequences sometimes for some of the things that are happening there's a difference between me confronting somebody and saying hey i think that you are uh you're 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 speaking inappropriately with someone who's not your wife that is what it is it's another thing if i say hey i think that you're 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 maybe doing something inappropriate with a minor or that you're you're committing some sort of abuse or crime or something like that nothing in the church discipline process precludes christians from properly using government for the authority that god intended it to be used for and what yeah, we don't right. want to do is we don't want to let people sort of say oh we're handling this through ch- church discipline it's not an either or it's a both and church discipline involves how we as Christian believers are going to interact with others who claim to be Christians. But in order for somebody to actually repent and accept accountability, that can and usually does mean if this is a crime, that person needs to accept accountability for that crime. So it's, it's a nuance that we want to make sure that we at least establish so that people aren't confused with that idea of thinking that, well, we're supposed to keep this private. We're supposed to cover something up. It's not about covering anything up. It's about making sure that we're going through the procedure the right way. And absolutely accountability includes civil authorities if it rises to that level.
1: Now, oh, Jeff, that's an excellent point. And I just remember in the past, oh, se- time frame doesn't matter. There are many instances of churches handling something in-house that should have been reported to the authorities. And the damage it wreaks later it's far worse because then it looks like the church was trying to cover something up. So yeah, the church discipline process is not meant to cover up crimes or to protect people from the civil consequences of the actions they've taken. Sometimes the best thing a church can do. And the, of course the, since God calls us to the thing a church should do, if a crime is committed is to report that to the appropriate authorities. Even if the person has fully repented and gone through the full restoration process, that is not, alleviate them from the consequences of their actions. So thank you for bringing that up. That's very important. If, if I were to think of one other point I would really like to bring up, the church discipline is not just for church leaders to take congregants or church members through. The same principles also apply to church leaders. I point to the language in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, which says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by, again, or three witnesses using the same terminology, but those elders who are sinning you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So it uses a lot of the same language that we see in Matthew 18. And even the case of an elder or a pastor, the goal is restoration. And several times um, prominent church leaders have done something that resulted in them going through the church discipline process. And I have heard people who are in the church who not the best word to use, but like a fan of the pastor to the point of why are we being so unloving to them when they're going through a tough time and those sorts of things. And um, to me, every time I hear that, it takes my mind back to Hebrews 12 and the verse that actually a quote of Proverbs chapter three says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son, whether it's, Church discipline, whether it's parental discipline, um, whether it's discipline directly from God, it should be done in a spirit of love. Seeking to restore someone is an act of love. Seeking to help someone to see the error of their ways, to point out a blind spot, a sin that is in their life that they are enslaved to, is an act of love. And so keeping that in mind throughout the whole church discipline process, that the motivation should be love, the end result should be repentance and restoration gives the whole church discipline process a whole different perspective. Um, so our attitude in how we go about church discipline is say, as important as following the um, precise steps that are laid out in scripture.
2: It's also interesting when we look at the, the context of what goes on there, it's very important that we use this unified approach. And I know, Shay, you've made comment before about how <laughs> you find some irony in that there's there's this description of the church disciplinary process that you read, and what comes immediately after that are words that are really, really important for this process, mm-hmm. and they're, they're very often just pulled out of context and applied in situations where they don't mean anything mm-hmm. like what people are trying to use them for. Um, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so um, in the Matthew 18 passage, the very next verse after one I read earlier is, whatever you have bound on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loosen on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then the next verse after that is the, for uh, wherever two or three witnesses are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. <laughs> the binding and loosing verse I hear quoted all the time about oh, I, I'm binding this demon. I'm binding this um, preventing this bad event from happening. I'm loosing God's blessings. And it's not at all what the verse is talking about. And that where two or three are gathered is usually quoted in the context of prayer like okay let's gather two or three of us together and let's all pray for the same thing and god is especially going to be with us during that time and while th- i'm not saying there's an absence of truth in that concept but both of those passages are directly connected to church discipline saying that god is if we're following the biblical principles of church discipline god is with us in that process and he he's in, he's in agreement with us when we are confronting a believer in a spirit of love with the goal of restoration and the two or three witnesses in the passage of take two or three with you, and then two verses later talking about when there are two or three there, I'm in the midst saying God is with us throughout this church discipline process. So this is a powerful reminder of that when God has ordained a process like this, if we are following the biblical steps, he is with us, he is guiding us, he is working in that process. And ultimately, he is the one who has to bring about the repentance. He is the one who has to... Change a person's heart about the sins they are committing. So, participating with God, allowing God's word to guide and inform the whole process is is crucial. And now taking these things out of context, to me, it's more of an annoyance than anything else. And I'm not saying these verses don't have any application outside of the church discipline process, but it's always. We did a podcast about this not too long ago about taking verses out of context. I can't remember if we discussed this one, but keeping verses in their context is. It's crucial because we don't want to make them say what they don't say, but we do want them to inform what the the context they're actually found in. And these two verses applying to church discipline gives you a whole different perspective on how the process works and um, who's in charge of it, namely God. Hope our conversation today on church discipline has been informative to you. Hope you, after listening or watching this episode, walk away from it with a greater understanding of what church discipline is and what church discipline isn't. Each of us to varying degrees have had to engage in um, church discipline with a believer who's sinning and to varying degrees we've seen seen repentance happen and we've seen people just walk out and leave the church. Obviously our goal should always be restoration, confrontation and love and victory over sin rather than condemnation. So hope you hear that spirit with us today not a fun topic to talk about, but something we're asked about fairly often, and something that is not applied in churches as often as it should be. This has been the Got Questions Podcast on Church Discipline with Jeff, the administrator of BibleRef.com, and Kevin, the managing editor of Got Questions Ministries. Got Questions, Bibleized Answers, and we'll help you find them. Your Questions, Biblical Answers. The
0: Got Questions Podcast. Check us out at podcast.gotquestions.org.